Thank you for listening to the Calvary Monterey podcast. Please visit calvary.com to learn more about our church. And visit nateholdridge.com for additional Bible teaching from our lead pastor, Nate Holdridge. Teaching today is our assistant pastor, Matt Kaler. Hey, Calvary. Pastor Matt and I get to share God's word with you today. And we're gonna be in Psalm chapter four. If you have your Bibles, grab them, turn there. We're gonna look at this incredible Psalm together and uh, see what God has to say for us. So I'm gonna read the Psalm in its entirety and then I'm gonna pray and uh, we'll jump into it. Psalm chapter four, it says, "'Answer me when I call, O God, of my righteousness. "'You have given me relief when I was in distress. "'Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Selah. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You've put more joy in my heart than they when uh, then they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word in this psalm, Lord. And thank you, God, that we have honest and heartfelt laments like this psalm in, in Psalm chapter four. And God, I pray that you would speak to us through it. I pray that we would have listening ears and open hearts to receive what it is that you have. Thank you, Lord. We love you in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I am a dad of a seven-year-old and a three-year-old, and I absolutely uh, love being a dad. One of the things I love is the real and authentic, honest takes that my kids give me. Whether it's about you know the way I look or uh, my attempts at humor that fall flat, um, my kids don't have a problem whatsoever of telling me what they really think. And I love this. Uh, of course, you know, there are moments where we do, uh, part of our parenting is teaching our kids to know that there are sometimes to, um, maybe when you think something, to not always say what you think, um, <laughs> but to uh, uh, be able to have a place, of maybe a filter up. And, uh, you know, I remind my kids of this after they brought me to the point of tears and, uh, you know, where my self-esteem has basically been destroyed. But um, it's good, it's good as a parent to be able to do that. And that's part of our role, helping them develop that, that filter. And, you know, we as adults, we have to learn to do this. Some of us are still learning to do this. Um, but I wonder for some if, if we've done such a good job at holding back and holding in and keeping in those thoughts and feelings that, we have failed to process through some of the situations and circumstances that we find ourselves in. Depending on your upbringing, what your home was like, it may have been a space where you didn't feel it was okay to share openly your thoughts or your feelings. And maybe that wasn't a safe place. And maybe for you, you know, there was a certain tone that was set in your, in your house or your, your environment. And, and you had to kind of match that tone or match the, the sentiment that was uh, most prominent. And, you know, I think... What, what I've found and, and what we find actually in scripture is a very nuanced way to look at our feelings and our emotions. In fact, the, the scripture deals with them in a way that shows us how complicated they can be. And I really appreciate that about God's word. It doesn't sugarcoat, it doesn't gloss over, it doesn't minimize that part of our lives. Because 
We all experience emotion, don't we? We've been made in the image of God, the scripture says, and God is himself showing emotion all throughout the Bible. We know this. God shows compassion. He shows care and concern. He shows um, anger towards wickedness and injustice. We know that God is a God who feels himself. So that can't mean that emotions are all bad, but it's often hard to know which ones are good and which ones could potentially lead us to sin. Even seemingly good emotions can be sinful at times. We could have good emotions that go bad. We think about feeling joy or happiness because a coworker that we dislike ends up being reprimanded by our boss for something small. And we have a sense of, you know, happiness or satisfaction watching that happen. We can experience a sense of peace or calm after blowing up at someone and shutting them down and, and yelling and, and, and going in a rage and afterwards feeling like, man, I really told that person off. So even good emotions or what we could label good emotions can sometimes be done in a sinful way. And as followers of Christ, really the question for me is how are we to navigate through the complicated area of life and what place does God's word have in informing how we are to process our emotions? Well, that's one of the reasons I love the Psalms. Because in the Psalms, what we have is a collection of songs that the early followers would, would sing out. And many of these Psalms have been penned by David. He's our author in this Psalm. And one of the things I love about David is uh, what the Bible says about him is he's a man after God's own heart. And what David shows us is a man who is okay not being okay. He's okay sharing the very real and raw emotions that he's experiencing. In a sense, that filter kind of comes down, that filter is taken away, and we see a very real human person. And, and that's why the Psalms are so relatable, aren't they? The writers of the Psalms wrote out of the circumstances that they were feeling and that they were experiencing, whether that was relational conflicts, family conflicts, health crises, maybe financial um, concern or despair, spiritual doubt and wandering. These are all things that we find throughout the Psalms. On the other hand, we find mountaintop experiences. We find uh, moments of praise and joy and thanksgiving and peace. But I think we have largely in the Psalms is a collection of songs that act both as an encouragement and an exhortation on how we can navigate through some of life's circumstances while growing in our ability to process through our thoughts and our feelings in light of God's truth. And that brings us to Psalm 4. And what we find in this Psalm in particular is David experiencing something I'm sure we've all experienced before, a sleepless night. It's not because he drank too much coffee or, you know, stayed up too late watching Netflix, whatever it may be. He was experiencing that moment where you are running through the events of your day. You are running through the encounters of your, uh, of your day. You are uh, allowing the pressures of life to weigh, weigh down on you so much that your body cannot even fall asleep. And I, I want to title this message, How to Fight a Sleepless Night how to fight a sleepless night. So in that, I want to look at four things in particular that David does here in this psalm that I believe helps us understand some of the ways that we can process through the events of our days and the things that we feel are pressuring us, causing us anxiety, and then finding a, a rediscovery or a way to come back to that place of peace and joy in our hearts and in our lives. 
And so for you, uh, I hope that this is encouraging and I hope that you're able to um, put some of these things into practice in order to um, be in, encouraged in your life. And so this psalm gives us this kind of um, grid, if you will. So what I want to do is first look at um, verse one. And I believe the first thing that David shows us here when it comes to the, the, the times that we are in uh, moments of despair, anxiety, discouragement, where we are up late at night, David does something. I'm sure you could guess what it was. Verse one, it says, answer me when I call, O God, of my righteousness. For you have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. The number one thing that we are to do in those moments where we are feeling weighed down and the pressures of life are just bearing down on us to the point where we can't find rest, even physical rest, is we're to bring our cares to God. Bring our cares to God. And this is obviously one that we know as Christians we should do, right? But I need to state it because how often uh, do we forget to do this very simple thing, and that is to bring our cares before God. When dealing with negative emotions, with experiences that um, may not be what we would consider the significant life experiences or tragedies, a, a death of a family member, or a lost job, or maybe a medical diagnosis, maybe the, these situations that we find uh, are less significant, the situations we tend to want to take our hands on and get control of and, and think through and try to find a solution. These are the situations that we also need to bring to God, these cares, these kinds of circumstances, because that's essentially what David's doing here. In fact, the context to this chapter, we don't fully know what is going on. Some uh, commentators want to connect chapter four to chapter three, but um, there's others that say, well, you, you can't necessarily do that. Chapter three is really about David being on the run from his son Absalom as, as Absalom was trying to uh, basically hunt him down to kill him, to seize his throne. But really, David gives the reason and the source of his, his stress, the source of his anxiety in verse two. Notice what it says there. He says, oh men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? Now, what, what, it seems, what seems to be happening in this context is that David is up at night. What's causing him anxiety has to do with the lies that are being told about him. The misrepresentation of his character, the gossip and the slander that he's experiencing towards him. And I think this is important to note because how often, myself included, do we try to navigate these types of situations on our own? You know, like I said, the major crises, yeah, we got to bring those before the Lord. When we have nowhere to turn, when we have no place to control, we bring those things to God. But in these other conflicts, these other issues, these other circumstances, I find my tendency is to first try and deal with it myself. I can figure it out. It's a Rubik's Cube. As long as I just mess with it long enough, I'm going to find the right combination. I'm going to crack the code and then I'm going to feel good. And we lay awake at night, tossing and turning, ruminating over and over again in our heads. And I'm sure you've been in that place before. But how often does that work for you? <laughs> how often are you able to get to that place and realize, oh man, yes, I've got peace, I've got calm, I've got joy, I'm, I'm where I need to be. What does it produce along the way? Well, David reminds us here, there's nothing so insignificant that we shouldn't be bringing to God. 1 Peter 5, 7, cast your cares on him for he cares for you. Remember a couple of years ago, I was actually walking into the church on a Sunday and there was something going on, there's a circumstance stance that I was a part of and 
there was some conflicts that I think had just really um, kind of got lodged in my mind and I just I, I turned it over. I was just thinking it through and I was just trying to figure out a way through it. You know, it almost feels like you're lost in the woods and you're just trying to find a way out. And I remember the Lord just gently tugging on my heart as I was walking down kind of that long driveway to come to the church one Sunday morning. I remember the Lord just gently kind of whispering that still small voice just saying, hey, cast it upon me. I care for you. And it was like I was just kind of having this inner dialogue like, yeah, Lord, I know, I know I can cast it on you. And I'm getting there pretty quick. Just give me a little bit more time to figure it out and to think it out. And then once I've got it figured out, then I'll kind of cast it on you because I know I need to do that. It was like the Lord was saying, what are you trying to do? You're, you're, trying to figure, you're trying to do this on your own. And then casting it on me, what are you going to cast on me? I want your cares. I want the worries. I want the anxiety. I don't want it packaged up. And it was in that moment, I just felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And I was like, oh my word, I'm not casting this care on the Lord. And in that moment, I was able to commit it to him and say, Lord, I put this before you and named what exactly what I was feeling, exactly what it was. And immediately, I just felt this sense of peace. I didn't necessarily have the solution to the problem right there, boom, all right, I'm good. But I realized that the solution to the problem wasn't what was gonna bring me peace. It was the fact that I know that this was in the Lord's hands and I didn't have to fret and I didn't have to worry. And I've had to do that over and over again, friends. And I wonder if you have been in the same place where, you know, maybe it's a small thing. Maybe you look at it, it's like, well, that's not a big deal. I don't want to bother the Lord for that. But God says, cast those cares on me. If it's a care to you, it's a care to God. And he wants to take that upon himself. And notice in verse one, what happens? How does David do this? Well, he, he does a few things here. Notice that David knows God and that's why he's drawn to God because he knows he cares. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. There's this personal relationship that he has with the Lord. For you have given me relief when I was in distress, and you be gracious to me and hear my prayer. So notice that David is not only drawn to God because he's got that personal relationship already with him, but he also is reminded of the character of God. He knows that he can trust him because he's there, but he also knows that he's trustworthy because he talks of his saving grace and he speaks about his faithfulness. You've been faithful to me before. I know you're gonna be faithful to me again. And I think this is important for us because I'm concerned that too many Christians are comfortable with the surfacey understanding of God without digging deeper into his character and his majesty. And then when we get into these situations, we're scrambling, we're, we're questioning, and there's things that we're trying to figure out on the spot instead of having that security and that confidence in who God is and simply being able to bring that before the Lord. So I guess... What I'm trying to say is let this be an encouragement to you as David was able to go to the Lord in his distress. Let this be an encouragement to you to continue to pursue God and his character and who he is revealed in his word. Become a self-feeder of God's word. Don't just be having a meal once a week on Sundays that's been prepared for you. But you get into the kitchen, you grab the ingredients, you start mixing things together and you discover who God is for yourself to discover what are the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, as Romans eleven thirty three 33 says. Do theology in the good times so that you can go to the God you know in the hard times. So number two, so if number one is to come to God with our cares, number two, I believe David models this for us, be honest with what you're going through. Now, why do we gotta say this? Well, I grew up in a home where negative emotions and feelings over conflict, whatever, whatever was happening, whether it was financial strain on our family, 
I grew up in a home where that was processed under the banner of stress. I'm stressed. And, and, and it was said so often in our house that it kind of became a joke, right? It was like, okay, they're stressed. We're not going to bother them. And, and stress was just kind of the blanket term that, hey, something's not going right. I don't like what I'm feeling. And so I'm stressed. And it was kind of the buzzword. And like I said, we even made jokes about it. We talk about it even today. But looking back, I could see what was the cause of the stress and what was the, the root or maybe what was the reason behind the pressure that certain family members were feeling. But in those moments, the source of the stress wasn't always clear. Maybe it was for those, but it wasn't always communicated. And I think that often is how it is, even for ourselves, where we feel something. We don't like what we feel. We, we don't like the sense of anxiety or pressure or stress and distress that we're feeling. And so we try to get rid of that feeling or we try to get beyond that feeling or almost, you know, uh, leapfrog it, right? I, I want to get to the other side where I'm not feeling these negative emotions, but part of the solution is doing what, what we said here first, which is to, to cast those cares on the Lord. But secondly, notice what David does. He brings his cares before God, but he's also honest with what is causing him distress and pain. Verse two, oh men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? Now we already looked at this, but I see this as an important step in processing our anxiety and trouble. Once David's able to recognize the source of his distress, he's able to move on. But until then, he's not getting to the, the root per se. He's not getting to the essence of the situation. And friends, this may be something that you have not, you have not um, flexed that muscle. You have not done some of the work to actually dig in and go, why am I feeling what I'm feeling? Maybe it's been modeled for you to push that aside or, like I said, to leapfrog and try to get beyond that without actually looking at the source of what's causing that and then dealing with that at that level. For some of you, this may mean um, actually stepping into counseling to, to talk to a pastor, to talk to a ministry leader, to talk to someone that you respect and to say, hey, man, I, I feel like... I feel like I'm spinning. I feel like I'm going around and I'm not getting to the core issue. And I keep returning to this problem, right? The definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. And so for some of you, maybe the encouragement is for you that have a hard time really being honest about what is the issue, what's the core, what, what is causing that stress, the anxiety, those negative emotions to, to invite someone else in. You see, you're a part of a family. You're a part of the body of Christ. And you know what? What I've appreciated so much is those members of the body of Christ that, that are, 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 the, are the, the index finger, right? And so what they're able to do for me is they're able to put their finger on the thing and they're able to say, I think this is what's going on, Matt. I think the problem is there's fear. I think you're motivated by fear here. Matt, I think what's, the problem is your pride. Or Matt, I think what's the problem here is you're not trusting the Lord. And sometimes we need people to do that. And so I would just ask you to, to consider that and pray and say, Lord, do, do I need to invite someone else in to the anxiety and the stress that I'm feeling to not just put a Band-Aid on it, but to actually help me discover those areas that I need to identify? And so that's number two. So the first one, what is it? Casting our cares, bringing our cares before God. Secondly, what David does is he models for us being honest with what we're going through. Not trying to just blanket, I'm just stressed, oh man, I'm just having a hard day, it's warfare, whatever, whatever the thing is we want to generalize, but actually saying this is really what it is. I've got these people that are trying to, uh, you know, 
kind of attack me. They're, they're slandering. They're gossiping. And that's really bothering me. Third, once we've cast our care on the Lord, once we've been able to be honest with what we're going through, third is to speak truth to our hearts. Speak truth to our hearts. And this is what David does in this situation. Notice right after he comes out of this Selah, this pause, if you will, for the psalmist, where he's just laid out the source of his frustration and anxiety and distress. He says in verse three, but know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. I love this because David is declaring truth into his heart. He's saying, I know, Lord, that you have me. I know that if you are for me, who can be against me? I know that you hear me even when no one else hears me right now. Their voices are louder, but yours is louder than theirs. And Lord, I want to remember that. And I want to, I want to, I want to feel that. I want to preach that to my heart. You see, after David listens to his heart, he speaks to his heart. And we need to learn how to do this. Because Disney has told us for years, right, to listen to our heart. But I think even there, there is some truth in this. It doesn't stop there. We need to also speak truth into our hearts. We need to speak truth into our hearts. And that's what David does. He reminds himself that God is his justifier. God will fight his battles. He doesn't have to fight every battle. He speaks to that part of his heart that's feeling alone. But secondly, notice what he does in verse four. It says, be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your hearts, on your beds, and be silent. Here's a, a, another one of the, the peeks into what David is going through. Th that picture of being on his bed, just thinking and pondering and meditating upon what's going on. But notice what he does. He speaks truth to that part of his heart that's tempted to sin. You see, you don't just speak truth to the part of your heart that's alone, that's feeling down and discouraged. You speak truth to your heart that's feeling like, man, this is my solution. This is the answer to get rid of my trauma, uh, my trauma, my trouble, my problem, whatever it may be. Because David knows that he's angry. <laughs> but he's saying, be careful, heart. Be angry, but don't let it get to the point of sin. And this is a biblical truth that we need to understand. And Paul repeats this in Ephesians chapter four, this idea that there is an anger, there is a level of anger that is actually justified. There's a level of anger that is what we call a righteous anger. And David has the self-awareness to know that his frustration, his distress, his feeling attack has led him to be angry, but he knows that that anger can easily become sinful. And so he speaks to his heart and says, don't sin in your anger. And again, this is one of the reasons I love the Bible because it is so nuanced in its approach to human uh, emotion and human experiences. So Paul in Ephesians 4 in the New Testament, you know, I, I referenced that Paul, he, he, he uh, references this, this passage and this verse in particular. He adds this little, mis, uh, uh, this little uh, addendum that says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. And it seems that in the context of what Paul's talking about, which is really exhorting believers to forgive others in light of the forgiveness that they've received. You know, that beautiful verse in uh, Ephesians 4, 32, be kind and tenderhearted to one another, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. You see, forgiveness is one of the keys to un, uh, unhinging ourselves from sinful anger. Forgiveness is not denying our emotions to feel angry about the wrong that's been done. It's not denying the hurt or the pain that we feel. As Christians, we're not called to ignore reality as if it never happened, but instead we're instructed on how to handle these very real emotions when they do come our way. 
John Trapp, an old English Bible commentator, he said, he that will be angry and not sin, let him be angry at nothing but sin. And I think that's a good kind of understanding of what we mean by this justified anger, this this righteous anger. Our reaction to sin and wickedness and injustice should not be pacifism or apathy. Instead, we should see that anger in and of itself is not a sin because even God gets angry, right? He's angry at wickedness and sin and injustice. But righteous anger is an energy aroused in defense of something good and released against something evil. We think about Jesus in Matthew 21 when he cleanses the temple is kind of the, you know, the the most um, used example of what does it look like to have righteous anger. Jesus demonstrated that because he pointed his anger at the problem and not the person. This is not easy. (laughs) Again, forgiveness for the Christian doesn't mean denying the emotions you feel for the wrong that's been done to you. But notice there's something about that anger, as I said, there seems to be this time limit to it, right? To be angry and not sin. You know, um, you've probably heard if, if you're married and, and you've done any kind of um, counseling or, or marriage counseling or premarital counseling, you know, one of the things that they often say is um, never go to bed angry. And I heard one pastor say, yeah, never go to bed angry. Just stay up and fight. And uh, I, I'm not really sure about that, but um, I, I, love, I love the idea that we shouldn't go to bed angry. And, and it's taken from um, verse 26. It says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Now, I will say I, I, there may be times that you need to just go to bed because a good night's sleep is going to be um, better than just um, the continual butting of heads if you're not getting anywhere. So I don't want you to uh, take this legalistically, but I think there's a great principle there. I think to say, you know what? It's not a big deal. We're just let's just go to bed and to not really seek resolution and not seek restitution. I don't think that is what we should do because I think that does potentially give the enemy a place to come in and start producing those that bitterness or that frustration or that anger which would be sinful. And so, what are we saying? Well, we see that David as he's talking to his heart as he's speaking truth into his heart, he's able to recognize and really, I mean, have some pretty incredible self-awareness to say, hey, heart, you know what? You could be tempted to do this, but don't go down that road. Don't let it lead to sin. And that's an incredible thing to understand and to know. Verse five, he goes on and he says, offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. So again, as he's speaking to his heart, as he's speaking truth to his heart, what does that represent? He says, offer right sacrifices. Really, it's committing to follow God in obedience to him. In the moments of our distress and our anxiety to not go down that road that many of us wanna go down, seeking our own justification. Okay, well, you attacked me. Well, I'm gonna find a way to attack you. Instead, it's saying, Lord, I'm gonna leave it before you. I'm gonna trust you. To offer the right sacrifices is is really um, David's way of acknowledging the need to stay current and connected to the Lord. Lord, our relationship is more important. Our connection, the you know the the fellowship that we have. I don't want to I don't want to do anything to that by sinning and by going down this road to to seek my own justification. And he says, I'm going to put my trust in the Lord. Man, that's incredible. It's incredible that David was able to say that because uh, you, you trust those that you know. And the cool thing about this is David was able to say, I put my trust in you. Why? Because he knew that God was trustworthy, as we already said. 
But friends, for us as New Testament believers, I think this, this goes even further for us because we have a Savior who Hebrews says is not, uh, uh, is not unable to sympathize in our weakness, but was all points tempted as we yet without sin. And so what does that, what does that tell us? How, do, how does that encourage us to trust the Lord in our moments of distress, in our moments of anxiety? It tells us, first of all, he can relate to us. You know, we looking at the Gospels on, on Sunday mornings with Pastor Nate, and he's led us through this passage recently in Mark at the end of the Gospel where Jesus is in the garden. And there he is, he's sweating great drops of blood, and he's crying out before the Father, and he's saying, hey, if there's any other way, let it be. If any other way that we can do this, accomplish your will, Lord, is it possible? And he says, yet not my will, but yours be done. In that moment, it says that he was experiencing great distress, great anxiety. So there's something that we know that he knows what, what it is to feel those things. But so, so we can trust him, we can go to him because he can relate and he can say, yes, I know what it's like. But, but he's more trustworthy than just a friend per se because what did Christ not do? He did not give in to sinful uh, emotion. He did not go down those roads that often we go in our anxiety or in our emotions. But Jesus in all points tempted, yet without sin. And so... Jesus is better than the shoulder to cry on because he's the hand that reaches down and says, I can pull you up. I mean, it'd be enough to just know that he could relate, but it's, it's way better to know that, that not only can he relate, but he can hold us and he can carry us through it because he was victorious. Lastly, as we look at what David has done here, first, he cast his cares upon the Lord. Secondly, he's honest about what he's going through. Third, he speaks truth into his heart. And lastly, fourth, he remembers the true source of his joy and peace. He remembers the true source of his joy and peace. Notice verse six, it says, there are many who say, who will show us some good. Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. I love in the New Living Translation, it says in that first part of verse six, who will show us better times? Isn't this what we're looking for in those moments where we are feeling pressed in at all sides, where we're feeling the weight of the world upon our shoulders? relational conflicts, parenting issues, financial struggles, issues at work, whatever it may be. When we feel that pressure, when we have those sleepless nights, when we're awake trying to figure out just a way through, I don't know how often my mind has gone to, hey, well, who's gonna show me better times? You know, the thing about the world is that the world is constantly holding out things that would appear to be better times, right? The world has no lack of solutions to our feelings and our problems and our struggles. And they're very willing and ready to accept us into their tribe and into their thing. They have all kinds of different things that put out the guarantee for better times. But I love that David, what he does is he kind of, again, he points his direction and his gaze towards the Lord. And he says, but Lord, you, you lift up the light of your face upon us. Lord, I wanna see your smile. I wanna see you. I don't wanna look on this horizontal level. I wanna look vertically because there's so many things that could promise better times. But man, there's the Lord that's saying, I, I've got something better for you. And he goes on to talk about this. David says, you have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. This is incredible. <laughs> David is really speaking against the narrative of his culture. 
He's saying so many, uh, so many want to find their joy. They want to look to peace in what they have and what they possess. And, 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 and those are the things that are going to get them through. And it's almost as if David is just recounting and taking an inventory of his life while there's slander and there's people opposing. And it's almost as if, you know, he's, he's recognizing there's a part of his heart that just wants to go, but at least I've got this. Man, at least, you know, um, my, my uh, grain and wine abound. At least I'm secure. At least look at what I have. And don't we do that to ourselves? We want to comfort ourselves with, I've got these possessions. I've got this situation. I've got this job. And oftentimes those things become an idol in our lives because we're looking to them for security and safety. But David does this thing where he knows that that is potentially what he could find his joy and his peace in. But again, he speaks to his heart. He says, that's not, that's not where I'm going to find that peace. That's not where I'm going to find that joy because, verse 7, you have put more joy in my heart. I love that, 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 that phrase, more joy. Because, friends, I, I think, I think there, th- that we need to be honest that there, there is going to be a measure of happiness or joy that can be found in, in certain things. There's going to be a, a certain amount that we could look and go, well, that, that, that would make me feel secure. That would make me feel really good. And we can be honest about those things. But David, he, he clarifies it. He, he, he shows a distinction that there is a, a, a vast difference between what the world can offer us in terms of security and peace and safety and what God offers us. He's saying there is more joy If I could hold out two situations and say, would you like some joy or would you like more joy? Who wouldn't pick the path that says more joy? As Jesus, he laid out the the plan of salvation for his followers. He says, this is what leads to life more abundantly. And I love that. That the scripture talks about God doing exceedingly abundantly. There's always this, it's, it's, it's more full. It's it's a fullness that, that we can never get anywhere else. So often we look for joy in things and possessions and what we have instead of finding our joy in the gifts, we need to seek the giver. And that's what David does here. There's a distinction between the joy that a believer has compared to the joy of the most successful person. Friends, do you believe this? At night, are you contemplating how good life would be if only I had this, if only this were different? If only you fill in the blank. Learn from David. Those things can only temporarily bring happiness. But ultimately for us on this side of the cross, we see that Christ came to give us fullness of life, a fullness of joy that can be found in him. He came not to provide simply a shelter during this life, but to provide us a home that will last into eternity. And that closes with verse eight, where David says, in peace, I will both lie down and sleep for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. You know, isn't it beautiful to see that peace is possible in this chaotic, in this turbulent life, we can have peace because in God, we find that peace, we find that rest. David, at the end of the night, as he's worked through, as he's spoken to his heart, as he's cast his cares on the Lord, as he's been honest with himself, he finds that rest. He finds that solace. He finds that refuge in the truth that alone you, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. I just love that word safety. I just, 
There are so many different applications that we could pack out of that last verse there. And I know we don't have time for it, but I want to just ask you, what does it mean for you to feel safe? What does it mean for you to feel safe? What would it take for you to feel that sense of safety, that sense of peace, that sense of calm? And how does Christ offer you a better safety than the one the world holds out? Recognize where your safety and peace are found. David points our gaze once again, not to the victory that he could have over his accusers or winning the argument or justifying himself and, you know, spending hours at night thinking, man, if only I would have said this, that would have been so good, man, I would have silenced them. And, you know, we play those things out in our head all the time. Maybe just me, okay? I'm being really honest here. But in the safety of being one in whom Christ dwells, and living in the unshakable kingdom of God, as one author puts it. I love that. You see, that's where the joy, that's where the safety, that's where the security is found. We are those in whom Christ dwells and we live in the unshakable kingdom of God. And you know what? Nothing can take that away. Nothing can separate us from that. David here shows us that, that we can be honest we can speak truth into those situations of our life that we may feel like I'm alone. I got to tinker with this. I got to figure this out because what's on the other end, what, what happens as a result of that? A sense of peace and a sense of calm and a sense of understanding that in Christ, I'm safe. In Christ, I have a home. In Christ, I won't be cast out. Because what we see in the gospels, right? What we're seeing in our study in Mark is that Christ was the one that was cast out so that we could be brought in. Christ was the one that was slandered. He was the one that was accused. He was the one that gossiped about so that we could be given a name, so that we could be given a righteousness that was not of our own, but it was of his. You see, Christ was the one that took all of those things upon himself so that we can then have the identity of being a child of God. And friends, that's where we find our peace. That's where we find our security. And so for you, maybe you've experienced a sleepless night recently. How do you fight the sleepless night? My encouragement to you and what I see in this psalm is to bring your cares before God. Don't try to package them up. Don't try to make them all nice. Don't try to figure it out. Don't get just one more click away from that Rubik's Cube being solved. Just bring it as it is. Bring the whole messy truckload and just have them dump it on the, you know, on, in the arms of the Lord. Secondly, be honest about what you're going through. Don't try to sugarcoat it, overlook it. Be honest with it. Invite others into that process if you need to in order that you can speak truth into what is really going on, in order so you can speak truth into your heart. And then lastly, to be reminded of and rest in where your true joy and peace are found, and that's in Christ, that we are those in whom Christ dwells and we live in the unshakable kingdom of God. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, so much that, God, you invite us. You invite us to bring our distress to you. And, Lord, thank you that this isn't just some exercise that religious people do in order to feel better. But, Lord, there is, there is a real supernatural exchange that happens, Lord, as we really do recognize, God, your faithfulness how faithful you've been in times past. We know and we bank on the faithfulness that you are gonna be in these present times. And so Lord, I just pray for anyone who is experiencing this type of distress, maybe similar to what David has experienced. 
I pray that they would be encouraged, Lord, through this time in your word. And I pray that you would meet them exactly there and bring them that joy and that peace that's only found through Christ. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you would like more teachings and information about Calvary Monterey, please visit calvary.com. You can also find books, teachings through the Bible, and articles from our lead pastor at nateholdridge.com. Thanks again for tuning in. See you next week.